So, welcome back to another episode of Scouting Stuff You Should Know. This is episode 50, and... Already made it that far. It's been a little over two years, so, you know, we haven't quite kept up to the uh, the once every two week schedule, but, you know, at the same time, still, this is a good milestone. And unfortunately, technology decided to betray us tonight. The, uh, the power supply for my mixing board would appear to have died. And consequently, we are back using the old blue snowball, which is why... I mean, we're going to be playing past the mic, so there's probably going to be some odd um, muffled mic passing sounds that go along with that. But that's also why people are going to sound kind of tinny and distant in the background if I don't get the mic in front of them in time, because, you know, that's just how the blue snowball goes. But... At any rate, I thought that it would be, and this is actually why it's such a pain in the butt that, you know, technology has betrayed me so much, because I thought it would be really cool to have a bunch of people who've previously been on the podcast um, join us again for the podcast this evening. And so there's actually five of us here in total, four in the room with me, and then uh, also tuning in via Skype, we have Scar Corey, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Hello. Hello. And sitting right next to me is Regan, our ASM. Hi, everyone. And on the other side of me is Jason Scotterecco. Hi everybody. And over there is Scouter Colin back from New Jersey. Hello. So, all right. Yes, we apologize for any spurious background noise. You're just gonna have to bear with us for this. Um, just think about back to episode one when it was low tech. <laughs> we are kicking it old school for episode fifty, which seems oddly fitting, and yet at the same time. Just, uh. I'm not even going to mention the fact that I'm using a beaver hat as a pop filter on the blue snowball right now. <laughs> Be prepared. Right. Scouting motto, right? Yeah. So, all right. Um, Colin and I were tossing around ideas for this episode, and there were two, and actually one of them I really have to give credit to my wife for, because she thought it would be kind of interesting for episode 50 to do sort of a... Uh, then and now comparison, scouts 50 years ago versus scouting today. And we'll probably do a little bit of that. I think it's not going to be like a particularly deep dive into um, what scouting was like 50 years prior, but we'll touch on some of the uh, major differences that have happened. Colin's raising his hand. Hang on. Sorry. Um, 50 years would be a, uh, a bit of a stretch for most of us sitting in the room because we haven't been around for 50 years. That's true, and actually our group hasn't, well, the 59th hasn't been around for 50 years either, but still, like, there are, we can hit some high points on that, but then I also thought, and this actually came to mind more because I've done so many darn interviews now for new scouters, that um, this question is actually, um, the, the, the question that I wanted to pose to the room was, what's your favorite scouting memory? What is your least favorite scouting memory? And what is something that you've taken out of scouting, out of your experience in scouting, that you find you're applying on a fairly regular basis in your day-to-day life? You know, just a little, like I say, because it's cool to just have everybody back. And so it's kind of, you know, an opportunity to talk about how scouting has um, really impacted each of us in our, in our lives. 
And if you'd rather talk about guiding Regan, that's totally awesome too. I will totally talk about guiding. She's like, she's, she's wearing... during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's trying to launch her own. You know, we have to, we have to do our part. Do a good turn yeah. to, uh, yeah. to... Is that a, is that a WAGS jacket? It's a Pax Lodge jacket. You're going to have to expand that acronym. So Pax Lodge is one of our five hostels around the world where girl guides can come and do program and tour. So Pax Lodge is in London, and I volunteered there for four months. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Would that be, I guess, the equivalent of, say, BP House? Yes, it's the equivalent. Okay, cool. Yeah. We stayed at BP House. That was fun. If that was your memory, I apologize for spoilers in advance. <laughs> now I have to come up with a new one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, I was doing a bunch of just hopping around on the internet and just trying to dig up as much as I could about scouts, you know, like what it was like in about the mids. And it, it's funny, actually, you know, that um, we're doing this right now because, of course, it's Canada 150. And... 50 years ago would have been Canada 100. So that would have been actually, at least based on everything I can find, that was the first year that they issued, you know, one of those arm patches um, that, uh, you know, to commemorate the date, right? My dad had one. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, I have nothing else to add to that, but I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> Sorry. I made it look like I was going to say something relevant, but no, it was just purely agreeing with you. Right, yeah. So I remember like going through my dad's scouting uniforms, and he had uh, the 1967 patch. Um, and of course, since, you know, um, I think it's still in a box back there in that disaster I call a room over there. Um, and of course, you know, like I've got two of my own now. I've got the 2007 for the 100th anniversary of scouting, and then of course now the 2017, because... Um, that's a thing, and I don't know if this is mirrored in other scouting organizations, like in other, um, national organizations, but in Scouts Canada at any rate, when we have these significant dates, um, 100th anniversary of the country, 150th anniversary of the country, 100th anniversary of scouting, they issue a special arm patch and on our uniform right now, it goes on the left arm, kind of in the, the, the mid upper arm, um, and it's, you know, just basically the date, right? And it's cool because it's a bad... And this is something I tell my beavers and my cubs when I give them the badge. It's like, you know what? This badge comes with you. If, uh, if you stay with the program, you know, you go up to cubs, you go up to scouts, you take this badge with you. It stays on your uniform, right? Because you were a scout in 2017. And that fact is never going to change. So you can always wear this badge. doesn't matter what section you're in. And it's kind of cool to have those commemorations. And so, you know, obviously 1967 would have been, I think, at least as far as I can tell, the first year that we did one of those badges uh, in Scouts Canada. But beyond that, I don't know if there wasn't a lot else that I was really able to unearth. I think one thing that's maybe worth highlighting is the fact that in the, uh, I feel like 50 years ago, we didn't have Beaver Scouts. Beaver Scouts program is only yeah, about 42-ish years old. The, the 40th anniversary was a couple of years ago. I remember handing out crests to a lot of the youth for it. But um, but yeah, we didn't have Beaver Scouts. We were still the Boy Scouts. Um, 
they hadn't quite started piloting female membership at the rover level. That would have been another, actually almost a decade before they started doing that. Um, the uniforms actually were broadly kind of similar to what they are today. <laughs> the, uh, the scouts were, I believe, in gray. The, or sorry, the cubs were in gray. The scouts were in green. Yep. Um, if we had a vent or a rover section, I don't know what they would have worn. I actually wouldn't be surprised to hear they would have worn green, but... I was, I was thinking, I think the older sections were in green, um, past scouts. Yeah, that was my thought too, but like I say, I never really, um, it's kind of hard to find a lot of data on that. Um, I think, like, I, I do remember the discussions that kind of surrounded the return to the green uniform for the scouts, um, sort of in the post-tan era. And, you know, one of the points that was made is like, yeah, okay, fine, sure. Like, our scouts were in tan for the 90s and uh, whatnot, but, like, before that, it was all green. Like, they were just in, that was the color. So it's, you know, we're not breaking anything by going back to that color. We're actually getting something back by going, and now, granted, we don't have them wearing sashes anymore, but that's neither here nor there. They seem just fine putting the badges on their arms. So... Um, what else? Well, I mean, okay, so, yeah, I'm just sort of quickly looking at the other notes. Um, the, uh, so the Scouts Canada logo was introduced in the 70s, so, you know, um, we would have had the old Boy Scouts, and I think it was an Arrowhead crest, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Arrowhead crest. I've... I don't know. I've got, again, like my dad's old paraphernalia is back there somewhere and I just didn't have time to pull it out. But I seem to recall that um, there was just a lot of just the Arrowhead crest was used a lot with like Boy Scouts written under it. So, um, but yeah, it would have been the 70s when the Scouts Canada logo was introduced. Although technically, I guess we were still called the Boy Scouts up until, uh, when was that? 2007. My goodness. Really? That was crest. I I don't know. I've got, again, like my dad's old paraphernalia is back there somewhere, and I just didn't have time to pull it out. But I seem to recall that um, there was just a lot, of, just the Arrowhead crest was used a lot, with like Boy Scouts written under it. So, um, but yeah, it would have been the 70s when the Scouts Canada logo was introduced. Although, technically, I guess we were still called the Boy Scouts up until, uh, when was that? 2007. My goodness. Really? That, was it that long? Like, or that recent, I should say. Yeah, it, it was. I don't know if you have anything to add here, but. Yeah, our Act of Parliament says that we're still the Boy Scouts of Canada because we were initiated by an Act of Parliament, so it's really hard to change super high-level things, um, but our continuing on name is Scouts Canada because it's more inclusive and awesome. So when I get angry with people for calling us the Boy Scouts, they're technically not wrong because according to an our act of parliament... The, the name is still the Boy Scouts of, Boy Scouts of Canada. 
So if Trudeau ever has time, we could, you know, switch it up a bit. <laughs> uh, there we go. So for those of you listening um, in the United States, this is what you have to look forward to, too. You know, <laughs> your, your organization is going to take 50 years to figure out what its new name is going to be now. But that's all right. That's all right. 2007, I was actually surprised to, to, to mm-hmm. find that, that that was actually the official, like, name change. Because I can't really ever think of thinking of us as anything other than Scouts Canada. And maybe that's because, like, the logo itself, the Scouts Canada logo, goes back to, like, the 70s. And that's basically been on everything that we've ever worn. Yeah. You know, like, we've... The Boy Scouts, where I've found references to Boy Scouts, like I say, is on like my dad's old stuff, right? Yeah. Which would have or been pre- very old field books and things like that, like reference material from the seventies. I know I have um, a Scout handbook from where it says the Boy Scouts, Boy Scouts of Canada on it. Yeah, that too, or yeah, like the old field books, maybe. But yeah, again, like you know, you're. It's basically only when you're really diving back into that. Um, the archival material and just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So we were called that at one point or there was like some evidence that that's the name that was used. But I have a feeling that there are some listeners who were born in pre seventies that are strenuously objecting to being called very old um, because they're, because they're from the seventies. <laughs> we had this discussion before we launched into the podcast about, uh, you know, how old we really are. And, <laughs> And I'm sure that um, I probably have more gray hair than some of those listeners that that you just mentioned there. So, um, despite... I was just going to say, maybe a word. Uh, Certainly different than than it is now. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like certainly we've seen a substantial program change, oh gosh, just in the last couple of years. And... You know, like really, I mean, but there's been like two pro, two generations of program change since uh, I was a youth. Uh, we had the uh, the program that had the BP Woodsman and the Chevrons and that kind of badge progression, and then we we moved into um, and and. It, it, we've we've discussed this before as as we've talked about program stuff, um, but you know that drive towards uh, it being a, a youth led uh, a youth led program. So uh, the program was originally BP Woodsman Chevrons. It was all laid out, fill out these requirements. Uh, the next um, generation of that was well, we have a Voyager and a Pathfinder. Um, levels and you go through that same kind of thing uh blown blown out curriculum and now we're moving into the canadian path and that's uh, another another iteration of the kind of the same things uh but but again differently more more youth focused than the previous generations of programs right and i mean i think just looking back at like and again going by what I've kind of been able to unearth from my dad's time in Scouts, which would have been around this time, um, you know, that 50-year-ago mark. Um, it almost, and again, like, this is 
purely anecdotal. It's kind of just based on, you know, like the visual evidence I have in front of me. And maybe this is just the kind of scout my dad was. I don't know. But to look at what I have of his from back then, I'm much more reminded of like how the BSA does programming, right? Where everything seems to sort of revolve around the merit badges. And if you're going to rank up, right? Like you're going to become a life scout or an Eagle scout, um, achieving a certain number of merit badges and then particular merit badges as well. Right. So it's not just like yet any 50 merit badges. It's, you know, you have to achieve particular badges, uh, as well. That seems to be reflected in what he had, like on his uniform, what he had in terms of um, you know, no indication of like the BP Woodsman Chevrons or anything like that. Um, I think that was a program change that would have come along sometime between, you know, when he was in Scouts and then when we were in Scouts, you know, however many years later, two and a half decades later, let's say. So yeah, you're right. I mean, there's obviously been a significant amount of program change and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, back 50 years ago, our program was closer or more similar to what the BSA program still is today. But then again, too, like still probably with a more Canadian spin on it, right? Like if you, if you look at the BSA program versus how many other um, groups within the world organization of the scouting movement do it. The BSA kind of does stand out as somewhat different, right? In terms of how they organize the ranks, in terms of how, they, in terms of what sections are available, right? So I, I suspect that probably the program back then was, you know, more focused on earning merit badges with the merit badges, you know, being very specific, right? Like nowadays our merit badges are more or personal achievement badges, as we now call them under Canadian Path. They're more they're like big buckets, right? Or silos. And individual interests can be quickly and easily siloed into one of the 16 personal achievement badge categories, right? Um, there's, you know, there's a artistic beaver badge, right? And the specific art mode is not specified. There's a chef beaver badge, you know, the specific... But there's no like specifics of home cooking versus camp cooking or things like that. And so it goes. I have 16 categories and any particular interest that the youth have, I can find a category that it fits in versus very specific topical merit badges, which we would have seen under older scout programs to earn. So, so program has changed for sure, but we can also look at like, um, the actual skill sets that um, are involved in scouting, and I think those have actually um, those have actually stayed pretty consistent through through the decades. Um, some things that have changed, though, are the equipment that are available to to scouting groups. Uh, the lightweight uh, backpacking equipment, the lightweight camp stoves, all that stuff has developed with technology, and you get. Um, you know, smaller, more compact, but more efficient, uh, more efficient equipment. Yeah, I think that's probably true too, because I mean, 
how to safely use a knife. You know, how to safely use a folding blade knife versus... No, that's a first aid course is what that is. <laughs> well, but, you know, I mean, the point, that I think the point stands, is like, you know, like, we are going to be doing some knife work with our cubs this week, actually. Um, we have an instructor coming in who's, you know, um, Scouter Whitler, I believe he goes by. And so, you know, like he brings in everything, right? He brings in a bunch of knives and he's, you know, like a, he instructs them and runs through some very basic little activities with it. That said, I'm going to bring extra band-aids. Um, but, you know, like with the, and I think Regan and I talked about this on one podcast, um, but, you know, with the Cubs, we are allowed to do some knife-related work. Um, obviously, they're not going to be allowed to bring their own knife to a camp or other event, you know, not until they've gotten into scouts and achieved their knife permit. But, you know, I mean, fundamentally, knives haven't changed all that much in 50 years, and what you can do with them hasn't changed all that much in 50 years. They're as versatile a tool now as they were back then. Um, you, the, the point is well taken about how the gear has certainly gotten lighter and, you know, um, more efficient to set up and easier to transport. And these are good things, right? Because that certainly, it can expand the range of adventures that you can go on. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will, but you, it can. Um, it, it, it'll really depend on, you know, individual youth and the scout groups to, to take advantage of that to its fullest potential. Um, I think if anything, you know, and I mean, I think... One thing that has changed is that Scouts Canada has really expanded the mandate of the sorts of learning experiences it tries to present to youth, okay? I think it's really tried to widen its portfolio as much as it can. And sometimes these run counter to each other. So, you know... Um, <laughs> What are you know the the two things that I see Scouts Canada tweet about fairly often are of course get outdoors, go on an adventure, and then like a week later, hashtag Scout STEM. And while you certainly can do some STEM focused stuff in an outdoor setting, um, a lot uh, and even like if you look at like the trail cards, um, several of the STEM activities that get talked about get done are decidedly not outdoors in their focus, right? Um, coding. <laughs> programming theoretically possible in an outdoor setting but from a practical standpoint just no just no um so you know i i think and, and these are all good things but i do think that you know probably if we went back 50 years we would see the scouts had a much more just like dedicated outdoor focus Right? It would have been basically all about the scout craft. And now it's, we kind of have to find this balance between the scout craft and the STEM and, you know, just other little initiatives that come along. Um, so, and I, I don't know, like I said, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think, you know, maybe someone who had been a scout 50 years ago 
might look at scouts today and say, well, you don't really do as much outdoors, do you? And it's like, well, and I suppose, you know, depending on the group, we might be guilty of that charge. We might not be. Um, but then equally, there are other things now that we're trying to focus on, which is just a response to, you know, how technology and how the world has shifted over the last 50 years, which, let's face it, has um, been quite the upheaval in many respects, right? <clears throat> Socially, technologically, all of that. And so it is good that we try and reflect a lot of that in the program, um, especially because you know, like scouts should really be, the experience of scouting should be, I think, not something that you can necessarily get in school. And while I am glad that more teachers are becoming, you know, um, forward thinking enough to want to teach things like code literacy to their students, it's still a fairly uncommon thing. And as long as it's a fairly uncommon thing, I'll happily include that as one of the STEM components that I do with the youth. Um, Maybe I'll look at robotics if coding becomes a little bit too commonplace, you know? My gosh, I sound like a hipster. Oh, yeah, coding is so mainstream now. <laughs> well, I think we've also really streamlined the way that scouting works in the last 50 years. I mean, I remember when I was in Cubs and Beavers in the 80s and 90s, it was very different from what we do today. And I, I think that even with the Canadian Path, it's really streamlined how we present the program to our youth nowadays versus 50 years ago. I think a lot of us were probably just winging it, or a lot of the scouters at that point were just winging it, trying to get all of this stuff in. And, you know, I'm sure we had manuals and stuff like that back then. I, I still have my old cub book from the 90s, but I think now the program has just become so much more streamlined that it's easier for us to be able to present a working program that kids have a lot of fun with. That may well be true, but then again, I'm not, I don't know, because at the same time, I think program and structure are good. But sometimes their absence is also very good too, right? Like kids can be exceedingly versatile when it's a more undirected setting. They can actually get a lot out of that when it's sort of this more undirected setting in which there's, um, you know, maybe like a general goal of, you know, like learning how to camp well, but not really, you know, much in the way of specifics laid out for it. It's like, okay, well, we're going to go camping, and then we're going to go camping again, and sooner or later you'll all pick it up. Um, I guess it depends on the youth, you know. That, but in my experience, youth can be... Uh, can derive a substantial amount of fun out of, you know, those not quite entirely structured um, settings. But then equally, you know, just looking at the program we've delivered over the last few years, obviously um, we've taken the time to plan a great number of things and a lot of them have gone off exceedingly well. And then the youth have come back to us and said, that was so fun. Thank you for that. So, you know, the, the point is well taken. I, I think definitely the tool sets that we have now as scouters available to us are more. Yeah. I, I think we definitely have more in the way of training, more in the way of program resources we can fall back on. Um, and I mean, granted, I think, you know, a lot of that is just thanks to the internet. 
obviously, Scouts Canada has put in place more rigorous requirements versus 50 years ago uh, with you know regards to who can be a scouter and how much training they have to have before they can um, take on that role. But just, you know, also just the mere fact that we have, you know, Google now is in and of itself uh, a massive expansion in the amount of resources we have at our fingertips, right? I mean, if you think about the utility of something like Pinterest or just the ability to search up, you know, all of this online documentation, not just from our scouting organization, but for scouting organizations around the world. I mean, how many times do I point people who are like... Well, Perfect example, you know, like the Canadian Path, the Cub Scout C and E Award. Okay, so the top section award for Cub Scouts. One of, and I mean, we've. This is true, actually, of any top section award, right? Um, so, and I've done this for the Beaver Scouts too. Um, because, of course, like Chief Scout, Queen's Venturer, and then the the Rover Scout Award. Um, technically, the Rover Scout Awards new too. They formerly really just had the Duke of Edinburgh to work towards, but you know, like. The QV, the Chief Scout, those existed already. And while we've now standardized the requirements across all five sections for their top section awards, you know, they all fall into the same categories. So many levels of outdoor adventure skills, a person, you know, a personal progression review, so many hours of service, and the completion of a project. It's that project. You know, so I now probably a dozen times or more had people come to me and they're just like, what can I do? Like, I'm, I'm just looking for project ideas. What are some project ideas? And I just, I have bookmarks. It's like, okay, here are Tiger Cub projects from the BSA. Here are um, Weebelow's projects from the BSA. Because, you know, for their gaining of rank, um, the project has been for many, many years now, you know, one of those key requirements for them. And so they have tons of documentation out there and it's all, you know, and I mean, for each different age level, just so many great resources. And it's just, you know, a couple of keystrokes away on Google. So it's just like, you know what, here, you casting around for an idea here, here's what a tiger cub would do. That's about what I would expect your beaver to do. Here's what a wee below would do here. That's about what I would expect your howler to do. Um, and just having the ability to refer to that. And well, and I know Joda Jody this couple of weeks ago definitely felt a little bit less structured. There was some structure to it, but not as structured for the beavers as it was for the cubs. Um, I, I mean, still incredibly organized. What they did give us to do was still a lot of fun. And, um, but I think that we, as a beaver group learned a lot about camping outdoors when it's cold outside. I know I, for one, came away thinking um, about how to survive something like that at the cub, uh, cub level um, and them having to stay in tents and stuff like that. None of that isn't most of the handbooks that I think we have uh, other than you know, here's the list of equipment that you should have, um, so on and so forth, right? Right. And I mean, like, and some of those are like, you know, practical and common sense, but then equally it's getting the youth over the, the hump of actually, you know, something like a sleeping bag temperature rating. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, in theory, it should be a fairly common sense thing, because if you look at the sleeping bag bag, the stuff sack, it'll say, hey, you know, this is good for like four degrees Celsius and above. This is good for like to minus 10 Celsius and above, whatever. Um, do people read that? Not necessarily. And to be fair, this is not a new problem. Gosh, I can remember being at like cub camps or scout camps or like 100 plus you know, <clears throat> gosh, we were rovers. froze in one night. That's how cold it got. Like, the, we got surface, we had surface ice on the first 100 plus uh, scout camp that Ken and I attended. It, uh, we, we went to bed, and the next morning we got up, and it was frost on everything, and you could look out on the lake, and the geese were trying to, to, to come in, and they would just skirt across the lake, and, uh, yeah, it was it was actually kind of entertaining. Oh right, that was when it was still at Wobberman. Yeah, yeah. That's right, because we eventually moved it over to uh, closer to Devon there. But but and I was thinking actually of like the experience over at Devon, where like you know we yeah. have well <laughs> go to bed. It's it's essentially what happened here. You go you go to bed one uh, one night and it's uh, you know it's not too terrible and then you wake up and there's a foot of snow on the ground. Oh, and that was during August. No, uh, this was October. So I mean, not oh, entirely okay. unexpected, but at the same time, it's like we got dumped on and it was heavy, wet snow. So I mean, we had tents collapsing. It was just we had we had youth. We had to have a warm up tent. People abandoned ship. They just that that. You could you could tell the groups that had experienced that, or the leaders, the leadership teams that had experienced the go to bed in in one uh, in one condition and then wake up in a in another one, and they just kind of roll with it. Uh, the new leaders that this is their first camp out, and tents are collapsing, and kids are wet, and and all of that stuff. They don't know how to how to react, so they pull the pin. And I mean, it's good for them to do. But it's in the same same vein. It's like that's something that experience gets you, and I think that's you know one of those one of those things we learn, uh, you know, in in the program. And I think that's true from from then and now too. Is like you know the the scouter that signed up had no idea fifty years ago what he was getting himself into, and for the most part, the, the new green leader is like, well, I don't know what exactly I'm getting myself into, but okay, I'm willing to give it a shot. I've got some, you know, I, I, I can learn. <laughs> if you need to oh. picture this, Corey, sorry, Regan, uh, yeah, Regan's just getting ready to say something here, but just to complete Corey's mental image. Last beavery. Yeah. Fat with snow. Sweet. <laughs> Anyways, um, I could read off here, so let's. I think it's also really great that to point out that we've been talking about the differences, but we've got a lot of really awesome similarities. When BP started scouting, he started it to be a movement, not an organization. So, movement is something that continually has motion and is evolving. And we're still experiencing that in a lot of ways. And while we may be going back and forth between different um, mentalities and types of scouting, we're still scouting, and we're still developing kids to be better prepared for success in the world, which is our current um, mission and vision in Scouts Canada anyway. And BP saw youth that were lacking skills and 
we still have youth today who are lacking skills and we're doing all we can to fill in those gaps and expand knowledge and make our youth have really awesome experiences as much as we can. And I think another really awesome strength that we still have is we still have amazing volunteers who take an hour out of their week. Yeah, I said an hour, quotation marks. Just an hour. <laughs> um, <coughs> to really like take the time to be that awesome role model and that awesome mentor in these kids' lives. Like, I remember my guiders and the scouters that I interacted with as a kid, and I think everyone here in this room and listening um, to the podcast can think of that one scouter that really made a difference in their lives, or the scouters who are their co-scouters nowadays that are making a difference in their lives. And I think that's a really awesome strength that our movement, I was about to say organization, still has going for it. Just to piggyback off that, this is a thought that's been percolating in my head just for while we're talking here, and uh, in the ways that we're the same and we're different. I think one of the one of the really interesting ways that scouting has evolved, I guess, to continue with the mission, is that it, it feels like to me that some of the, the non-outdoorsy things that we talk about, um, like citizenship with the children, has really uh, expanded the way we talk about citizenship. The way that your typical, what you thought of 40 years ago as a Canadian citizen is not what it looks like necessarily right now. And just in you know, delivering uh, some of the programming that we do, we definitely expand that. The way that people can approach some of the badge work has really expanded that. And some of the, the way we, I mean, we take our kids out and we show them their place in history, what Alberta was like. 50 or 100 years ago when we go to the Reynolds or um, when we visited uh, the university. We went to a Faculty St. Jean and how, you know, how the Quebecois affected um, Alberta throughout its history. So I think we've kind of taken, um, it's nice to see scouting take a kind of a more active role in exploring citizenship and how it's more than just knowing what the flag is and being able to, you know, sing the national anthem. And it's got a bigger role in people's lives now because citizenship is more than just sort of that really rote version that you find in the dictionary. And to piggyback on that a little bit, citizenship has really expanded in scouting to be the International Brotherhood, so the World Organization of the WASM. Yeah, I can't remember what it all stands for, but WASM. World Organization of the Scouting Movement. Woohoo! <laughs> so, um, the World Organization of the Scouting Movement has really expanded, and I think we've gotten even better at making those international connections, and globalization has been a really significant impact because scouting is the biggest peace organization in the world and how powerful is that that we all get to be together talking about peace and there's not very many organizations that do that these days and in these difficult times that we're going through right now that we've been through in the past um, we know that scouting will be there and it will continue to be there um, to promote peace and community and not just peace um, I mean, we do emphasize that, and that is a good thing, you know. Um, it's, uh, I, I always, I, I've had to shake my head a little bit in the past when, you know, I've had people, like, object to how militaristic, say, the, the Red Scouters uniform scene, and they're just like, really? Really? Like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. Um, I don't see too many soldiers walking around with brightly colored scarves on, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, in addition to emphasizing, you know, peace as being one of the core principles of the scouting mission, um, I think it's not just about peace, but about, you know, peace is good, but we want to leave the world a little better than we found it. Um, which I think is, you know, like, I mean, that's certainly a step or two beyond, you know, it, it's wonderful to have 
cooperation and a cessation of conflict and all of these things, the setting aside of differences and the finding of common ground. And we've talked about that in previous episodes about how scouting can really facilitate a lot of that. But then equally, we don't stop with that. You know, we don't stop with the handshake. We start with the handshake and then we figure out how to make the little area around us and measure by measure the rest of the world. You know, like we want to leave it a little better than we found it. And as much as possible, scouts try and do that wherever they can, however they can, right? It's not just about cleaning up after a campsite. Well, it's also about cleaning up after a campsite. But you better clean up after your campsite. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying. But then, you know, equally, the world's your campsite. Mm-hmm. So that might actually be a, a really good segue to sort of the second part of, you know, what I want to talk about, which is just, again, um, just, you know, memories of scouting. And like I say, this is something that I've been asking in, I've done so, we've had so many new scouters this year, which is really, really great. But equally, it's meant a lot of me sitting down doing scouter interviews. And of course, one of the interviews is, or one of the interview questions is, and I'm probably going to butcher this a little bit, but Um, because I'm going from memory, which is not reliable in me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, One of the questions that we ask is, you know, like, what is... um, I believe it's one of the questions where we're talking about, like, their experiences with children and working with children. And we ask for, like, you know, like, their favorite and also, like, least favorite thing. And so, kind of a challenge to the room, and Corey, you're in the room virtually, so this counts for you too. Um, A favorite scouting memory, a least favorite scouting memory, and one thing from your scouting career, whether that's as a youth member or as a scouter, that you find yourself using on a fairly regular basis outside of scouting. Let's all not just jump into this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't everybody speak at once. I can can start. I know that I would have to say one of my favorite scouting memories so far was um, going to the Royal Terrell with my son. Um. And, and the reason that was one of my favorites is because it was kind of the first time that it has ever just been just he and I doing something with other people. Um, and there's no sisters, there's no mom, there's nobody else around, just other members of Beavers having a lot of fun and uh, really enjoying ourselves. And I'm looking forward to the next time we go to Reynolds because it won't just be my son anymore. It will be all three of my kids, one of which will be a beaver, two of which will be in Cubs. Um, and, and that it'll just be me as the lone parent for that one. But thankfully, I will have other scouters around to help out with that. Um, and boy, I'm trying to think of my least favorite, you know. Beavery, recent beavery is high up there. Just from a weather standpoint, it was cold. It was hard to be there. 
Bigfoot, I was really encouraged by the fact that none of the kids really complained. Or if they did, I didn't really hear much of it. So that's probably up there. And how about something on the day-to-day side? Um, you know, our, the beaver motto is the big thing for me right now. Uh, being that I'm fairly beaver-focused and oriented, sharing, sharing, sharing is huge because I'm trying to you know, teach three kids all about it and trying to make sure that I can keep up with keep up with that part and trying to teach all of them to to keep sharing and keep um, taking care of the world and each other. Awesome. Sorry, I had to step away there to discipline the furnace. Oh, good. I've been there before. Yeah, this mic picks up the uh, the background noise a lot worse than the other one does. All right. Um, I got a few. So, uh, who doesn't have a few? Yeah, just one. Just one. I'm, I'm, a, t- I'm a little bit of a storyteller at times. Um, I, I guess I, going through scouting, I had a lot of great memories. We got up to a lot of adventures going through the years. I was with, yes, shenanigans, adventures. Um, I, w- I was really lucky to, to be with the same, I was, I guess same as you guys, with the same group of youth and with the same group of youngsters for, uh, for an extended period. There was about eight years where there was maybe 15, 20 of us consistently doing getting up to shenanigans. And uh, one of the ones that always sticks out to me, <clears throat> it was, uh, and I guess now as a scudder, it gives me some more perspective on on the freedom that they allowed us at the time. Uh, <laughs> We were, we were venturers, and uh, we were in Jasper. We were doing mountain climbing. We were doing some rock climbing. We, we'd gone out for the day. We climbed all day. We got a guide. It was a really grueling day, but it was a lot of fun. Got to do, you know, push some boundaries and stuff like that. And in the evening, we went into town, and the scouters, the four of them, they all said they were taking off to do whatever they were doing, you know. Presumably heading somewhere to find a beverage of some sort. <laughs> and, well, this, it was a different age. <laughs> and, and so there was, I think there was about 10 of us left and we, we looked in our pockets and we had maybe $10 in total, small change. And we thought this is not sufficient for us in Jasper for an evening with less than $10. But one guy, he looked the part of the rock and roll star. He had long hair, he could play guitar, he could sing. And so he goes back to the car and he gets his guitar out and we panhandled in Jasper. <laughs> So he, uh, he went out and right in the middle of the park, you know, the big park there, he set up the guitar and he played and put a little seed money in and, and we all came by with a little few, a few bucks and threw them in there. And we eventually had our you know, $10 in there. And about an hour later, we had probably $40 and we did, we did okay. At which point we were like, he was like, all right, let's get out while we're getting good. So we got out of there. We went to the grocery store. We loaded up on chips and pop and cookies and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, when the scouters picked us up again, we all went back to camp. They're looking. They're like, where did all this stuff come from? What are you guys doing? So we told them. We, we, we played guitar. And we got in there. They were like, that's, that's illegal. You know, you need, a, you need a license to do that, right? You guys could have been in a lot of trouble. So that was, it was an interesting learning experience to, you know, panhandle and Jasper for some money. And uh, I got to eat all of the fudgios that I wanted to eat that day. So that was, that was a good day. Uh, I suppose my... Uh, my least favorite scouting experience would have come from, from that same group of scouting uh, scouts. Uh, when we were in scouts, there was one boy who was older, who was bigger, a little more assertive, and a little bit more 
tended towards being not necessarily bully, but he just had that kind of a personality a little bit. And it was occasionally really challenging to deal with him as uh, he was always a year ahead of me. So he was always, you know, patrol leader, assistant patrol leader, something like that. And having to be that person that had to listen to him all the time. But so that was not always great, but we had a good group of scouters and they were like, this is life. You have to deal with this sometimes, you know, we'll deal with it as best as we can as scouters. And it was never bullying. It was just difficult because he was that difficult kind of a personality. Um, so that was not always my, my greatest, uh, my greatest moment was sometimes dealing with, with this one guy. But I, again, I think to the last question, that is the thing that I take away from me is that you are in life, you encounter people that you do not mesh with personality wise. And that happens in any group you get in, any group of adults or any group of people, right? Like our, our leadership group in Beavers, we're great, but Corey's not my favorite person in the world sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh, right there. Oh, 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 sorry. Oh. We can we can edit that out, right, Ken? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, in any group, we have, there are personality conflicts that, you know, that'll come up. And I think that's one of the things that I really took away from that experience was that there are ways to work through it. And um, you always try to find that way, right? You try to find that constructive way to move forward positively. Because if you're a group, you are part of that group and you're moving forward together as a group. And you have to do what you can to help the group move forward. Not necessarily exactly the way you want, but still making progress. So those are my points. All right. Um, trying to think here. The list is long, isn't it? <laughs> well, when you spend 21 years as a youth member, yeah, you get a long list on both sides. Uh, Just remember the ASM is sitting next to you. Yeah, well... We won't tell those stories. <laughs> Hopefully she can't fire me for anything that I got up to as a youth member. Fun fact, you can't fire a volunteer. Here. <laughs> I was just about to say they can't fire. <laughs> can tell you never to come back. You can respectfully decline their services, though. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, I, I think for me, like, it's kind of... It's almost a toss-up between the various jamborees that I've been to. But I'd have to say that probably being the offer of service at the two jamborees that I was uh, an ooze at, um, that those probably stand out as like real highlights in my mind. Um, the, uh, the 2005 uh, Scouting Brotherhood jamboree, sort of like the not-quite-Alberta jamboree that we did, and then um, the 2007 World Jamboree were just incredible experiences. Um, because, and I think that's maybe why I really enjoy being a scouter as much as I do, is because, you know, like, at that point, and I guess I could maybe even lump in, like, all the work we did on, say, 100+. plus as Rover Scouts for as many years as we did that. It's fun to be the participant taking place in, or taking part in these events, wherever they happen to be. But it's just, I got so much more out of, you know, being the one to um, help facilitate this for other youth, right? You know, to be the one who's... Mm, setting up events, running events, explaining things to the youth, trying to instruct them as much as possible. Um, 
And I think maybe that's, you know, why I, I really enjoy being a scouter as well, is just the fact that I'm involved and, you know, like I get to flex a lot of the creative muscles and a lot of the scout craft muscles, you know, all that good stuff. But fundamentally, it's not for my own benefit, it's for someone else's benefit. Um, it's, you know, someone else's learning experience. I just love that, you know, seeing the light click on as someone like just gets it all of a sudden, whatever it might be in context. Uh, least favorite? Well, um, that one's a toss-up as well. And because I don't want to be like too much of a downer, I'm going to say that that one Cub Scout leader is second place. <clears throat> so instead of talking about him, I'm going to talk about my own struggles as a Cub Scout leader and trying to figure out how to <clears throat> effective, like we just put together pack code of conduct and it was actually really interesting going to Ireland um, because, so, I mean, obviously I was in Ireland for a couple of weeks there and I met with the scout group there and I saw like they, I mean, okay, first I really, really, really wish we had a scout hall, but that's neither here nor there. But while I was looking around their scout hall, I saw they had drawn up code of conduct with all their different sections. And one thing in particular, okay, so first off, this particular Irish scout group, sticklers for uniform, okay? Like, the uniform is, like, really important, really, really key. And we don't maybe put quite that much emphasis on it in the 59th. So, and maybe it's good that you're sitting here, Regan. You can tell me if I'm completely off base on thinking this. Um, <clears throat> not to put you in the hot seat. But, so anyways, one of the things, so their disciplinary methods, so, like, basically, like, if you violate the code, like, the, the these are the punishments that, or these are the, the consequences that apply, um, and their first level of disciplinary was like a warning. And then the next one up was your necker is taken away for like a meeting's duration. And then it's taken away again. And you have to like come back the next meeting to get it. Like you're sent home from that meeting. And then it's taken away again and you don't get it back and you don't attend meetings until such time as <clears throat> parents and scouters and the troop all agree that you are ready to return. Okay. I just made a big pouty face. Okay. So, and I mean, like, I was kind of struck by that because, like, I, on the one hand, I liked the, the physical significance of it. You know, like, it's, I mean, and again, obviously, like, it made sense to them because they um, put such great significance on the uniform. And so, you know, the actual measure of losing that piece of uniform, even for a short duration, you know, communicates the gravity of having violated the code of conduct without actually, you know, being demeaning or violent or anything of the sort, right? It's just, you know, okay, we'll take your neck off, like... Um, and, I mean, like, I was trying to think about this and like ultimately we did drop a pack code of conduct and I'm pretty happy with everything that's in it but I was having this long running debate with myself and none of this ultimately made it into the code of conduct but like I was trying to think like what is the thing that my cubs put the most significance on and the things my cubs put the most significance on is not their uniform it's not their necker it's their waddles <clears throat> 
there, the, uh, I, and I just, I got completely wiped out actually during my last investiture. So I still have several howlers that I owe proper woggles to, but it surprises me how many of them have come just like, Hey, I'm a howler now. Like I, I want my three, my, my three whiskers woggle. And then it got me thinking, it was just like, you know, if I was going to do anything, like, I mean, taking away neckers, half of these kids don't remember to wear their necker in the first place. But if they had to like wear one of the old gray whiskerless woggles for the duration of a meeting, like they would notice that we didn't ultimately go that route. We went with, uh, we actually ultimately asked the Cubs for their suggestions in terms of disciplinary methods and, you know, kind of, um, adapted the ones that weren't too wildly outrageous because let's face it, sometimes eight and nine years and 10 year olds can think of some pretty creative, (laughs) (laughs) calisthenics. What? (laughs) I don't know if I can make a kid do push-ups. I don't think that's right. <laughs> this isn't Taekwondo class. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of a... I'll go by your pouty face, though, that, that you're glad that I ultimately didn't go with any of those. Maybe I should explain my pouty face. I'm all for inclusion, and I don't like to take things away from youth. I like to remind them of what they're doing positively and ask them to do better next time. Um... If they've decided that the uniform's important to them, I wouldn't... Taking that away is making them not part of it anymore. So that's why I'm a little sad, but I don't like punishing kids. Maybe maybe another podcast topic can be discipline one day. Yeah, and, and, and it's worth noting that, like, they didn't start with that, right? Like, it was, you know, a warning. It's like, hey, like, you know, these are the rules. You've agreed to them. You know, why are you going against them? It's for when it becomes a repeat problem. And that would be an interesting thing to like pick apart in another podcast, which we really should do at some point. Add it to the list! <laughs> <laughs> the ever-running list. Yeah, for sure. So anyways, yeah, I think right now like my big downside is just trying to figure out how to... How to just, you know, help my cubs shape up a little bit. Because um, we're better this year. Things are definitely better this year compared to last year, but like there's still odd disciplinary issues that crop up. There's still, you know, certain youth that I just absolutely can't mix and have to constantly be separating because they are just, you know, they are just match and, and Tinder. Like it is just, they, <laughs> if you stand next to him, it is invariably going to result in a fight. That is guaranteed. And if it results in a fight, then we have to explain why swearing is not appropriate in a cub meeting. And and so we go. So, and not from the scouters. (laughs) I don't know where he learned those words. But uh, anyways, so yeah, that is, I think, the the thing that I'm not enjoying uh, the, the most. Just, you know, because, I don't know, like it's just... I think maybe because the the things that I have to deal with the most are things that I spend a lot of my life being on the receiving end of. And so, like, I have a great deal of sympathy for the kid who just wants to lash out at the kid who's constantly beaking on him and pecking at him and just, you know, like, pushing and prodding and waiting for the explosion. Like, I totally sympathize with the kid who's on the receiving end of that. And, yeah, that's, that's, anyways... No, um, moving on. The thing I think that I use the most is just wayfinding. 
I'm, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter um, indoors, outdoors, day, night. I'm just, I can't even help it anymore. Like I'm just constantly looking for, when I, whenever I go to a place, I'm just constantly looking for indicators. It's like, okay, well, what are my cardinal directions? You know, like where, <laughs> if for whatever reason I need to find my way around, how do I start? You know, which way is north is like the first question I ask. And I mean, like, <clears throat> you know, in Ireland, I spent the entire day, the entire first day indoors at this office facility we were working at. And finally, I'm just like, which way is north? And I'm in an office building and it's cloudy outside. So it's kind of difficult to tell. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden, like the sun just cracked through the clouds a little bit and it's coming in a particular window and I'm just like, ah, well, this time of day it'd be almost setting. So that's West. All right, good. There we go. <laughs> um, and then it's just like, you know, and until I get to that point, I actually almost feel a little bit uncomfortable, but then once I've got it, it's just like, oh, okay, this is good. Like now I, and I just feel like I understand a place more. And then once I have that. I can explore a place very thoroughly and just be very comfortable. Um, you know, like once I have that down, I could set out from my hotel and like, I literally spent all of Saturday just wandering around the town that I was in. Right. Um, no map, no nothing. Just be like, okay, I think I'll go this way next and finding everything that I could find. And then, you know, how do I get back to the hotel? Oh, no problem. It's just over there. You know, it's like once I've got it, I've got it, and I can find my way around just about anywhere. And I'm really, I like that. <laughs> Interesting you point that out when I uh, just confided to you that I get lost in, in the city you live in regularly, and I don't understand why. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually used to have, I, I, I some there is one place that is kryptonite to me, and that is Lansdowne. <laughs> it's the pipeline it is totally the pipeline that runs through that that district it's the fact that the entire community is 30 degrees off of what it should be <laughs> it's like, the streets should not go at that angle the avenue should not go at that angle <laughs> it's the pipeline that runs through there fair enough fair enough um Lansdowne is of course the community where one of our beaver colonies meets um hawkeyes colony actually meets at the uh, the Lansdowne Hall and uh yeah that neighborhood and I mean like I know I you know I have a long history with that neighborhood you know a guy that I was in scouts with and cubs and venturers and rovers lives lived I think his folks still live there um you know kind of right in the middle of the community and it was probably rovers before I could get to Robin's house without getting lost. <laughs> <laughs> now I think about it and I'm just like, oh yeah, of course, it's so simple. You know, you just turn at the school, go a couple down, turn, turn, and you're there. But now, but you know, for the longest time, it was just like, oh, where is Robin's house? Why can I not find Robin's house? Which way is up in this darn community? <laughs> so... Um, I, I totally, I, I do sympathize with that because I have felt that before. Um, but yeah, I don't know for me, just in general feeling comfortable with directions and wayfinding. And then once I've got that down, just exploring the heck out of a place, you know, even when we went to Greece, you know, like me and my wife on our honeymoon, um, we checked into a particular hotel 
in Hanya. There's a couple of photos of it around here somewhere. Um, up there, I think, yeah. And, you know, we would just wander all over Hanya, and she's just like, where are we? And I'm just like, oh, we're fine. Like, the hotel's just over there. Uh, same thing in Athens. You know, we checked into our hotel, and <clears throat> took me uh, a few hours to just sort of get a sense for the place. And then it was just like, we could walk blocks and blocks, go to the Parthenon, explore around the Parthenon, um, check out some of the side streets, the old cemetery, things like that. And then she's like, uh, where are we? And I'm just like, oh, the hotel's just over there. It's a few blocks. Um, and just, you know, having that comfort level, it, it's actually really good in my line of work because I travel a fair bit in my line of work. And so, you know, being able to go to new places and quickly habituate to them is handy. Handy, handy. Um, so I'd say it's really hard for me to pick a favorite memory, but I'm going to go with a favorite memory from when I was a girl member and then a favorite memory as an adult, as a guider. Um, of course, I'm speaking to like my guiding side um, because I entered guiding and scouting just before um, girls were allowed to go through Scouts Canada, so I stuck in guiding. Um, but anyway, my favorite member as a girl, um, I had a lot of really, really awesome experiences and opportunities. And um, my favorite memory was when I came back to guiding as a girl. I went through brownies and guides, and then I took grade six off, and I didn't jump to Pathfinders. And my mom spent a whole year trying to convince me, no, Regan, you've got to go back. You've got to go back to guiding. You love it so much. Why have you stopped? And finally I was like, no, don't want to go back. Well, she knew my Achilles heel was anything Japanese culture. So she found a group that was planning a trip to Japan, and she's like, I signed you up. Camp's tonight. I'm like, I don't want to go to camp. I don't want to go to camp. I cried the whole time as I folded up my bedroll, or rolled it up. I don't use bedrolls anymore. They're too old school. Um, <laughs> Speaking of things 50 years ago. <laughs> hey, people still use them. Um... So I get to camp, and we're probably at Pigeon, so at Tangle Trees, which is probably my favorite guiding camp nowadays. But we get there, and my mom pushes me out of the car, and I've got all my gear, and I am cried all the way to camp. You can imagine a teenage girl crying for an hour and a half drive. It was not pleasant for my mother. She's an angel, though. Um, and I get there, and there is my friend Holly, and she goes, welcome. And I go, hi. Well, we're going to set up camp. Come on. And she just like took me in tow and off I went to set up camp. And then by the time we walked down the trail and back up the trail, we were best friends. And I didn't know I had ever left guiding. And I was back for good. She had all the same hobbies I did. She liked anime and comics just as much as I did. And she was super excited we were going to Japan. And that was probably... That walk down the trail and back up the trail, the feeling I had when I walked back up the trail and saw my mom with this told you so look on her face is probably one of my best guiding moments as a girl. And then as a guider, I find that my best moments come from when my girls get it. And when you see them grow and evolve. And, and as a ranger leader, I work with girls in high school and it's a really crazy time they come in knowing themselves and then three years later 
um, at about the Christmas mark, you know they've got it and they're ready to be who they want to be and go out into the world. And while I had one of those girls who wasn't quite there yet, she wasn't sure what she wanted to do or what she wanted to do next. Um, but I had shared with her a lot of the things that I had done, and one of those was volunteering internationally um, with guiding. And she's like, well, could you help me um, do an application to volunteer um, at our chalet, which is um, the Girl Guide Hostel in Switzerland? Um, well, unfortunately, she didn't get to volunteer at our chalet, but she knew about Candersteg, and she's like, oh, maybe I'll volunteer at the Scout Center. And I was like, Scout Center... Why do you want to volunteer at the Scout Center? This guide center is way more fun. Um, anyway, she went through with it. She volunteered at Kandersteg. And I had the chance to go visit her because my rangers did a trip to Switzerland. And on our day off from our chalet programming, and we went to uh, across the mountain because our chalet is on one side of the mountain and um, Kandersteg's on the other. So we went to go visit her. And um, by the end of our afternoon with her, I had seen so much growth and development and she'd really come into her own in the most awesome way. I was just so proud of what I witnessed and her confidence changed and um, her self-esteem I thought went way up and she's just the most amazing person with the biggest spirit for scouting and helping others and volunteering and community spirit um, that as our bus pulled away, when we said goodbye to her, I was bawling my eyes out like the adult I am. Very emotional about how proud I was of my little ranger who's not a ranger anymore. So those are my two favorite memories. Um, but as an ASM, or as, as an area support manager for Scouts Can, I'd say my least favorite memories in scouting and in guiding always come down to adults behaving badly or people who haven't quite learned how to play in the sandbox just yet. Um, and really, all those moments sum up too is people who aren't in scouting or guiding for the right reasons. They're in it for themselves. They're not in it for the difference they're making in the lives of youth. And it really hurts the youth that they're working with. It hurts the scouters who they volunteer with. It hurts the movement that they're part of. And... It really makes it not a happy place to be in, but as an ASM, I deal with volunteers behaving badly or adults behaving badly every day. So, um, everything that you think of in your least favorite scouter to work with, I see those emails and phone calls five times a day. And you know what, sometimes it can be really hard, but what really gets me through all those moments is the super awesome ones that I have, like coming and doing a podcast like this, or going out to a camp and seeing a youth um, sleep in a tent for the first time or overcome an obstacle. Those are just amazing, and that's what I'm here for. And that's what I really love to see. Now, the, the last question was, what did you learn in scouting that you use every day? And I would say I learned my confidence and I learned my drive. Um, a lot of what the guiding program is, is learning to be confident in yourself and go out of yourself and help the world and be who you're destined to be and give you the skills you need to do that. And that main skill, I think, is confidence. Um, I'm pretty, like, 
out there about my age. I'm pretty young. I'm only 26. And I frequently sit down in rooms where I am the youngest by 20, sometimes 30 years. I have a new perspective. And to top it off, I'm a girl and I'm the only girl in the whole room. And you know what? Sometimes that can really like take a knife to your confidence. But I know with everything that I've learned that I have a voice and I know how to use it. I'm going to use it. And you're going to listen. And you know what? We're going to come out of this having had a really great conversation and we're going to come out of whatever disagreement we have together and better for it on the other side. And then because of scouting and guiding, I know that I can take any problem and any situation or any goal and I can find a way through it. And that's the drive that I learned. I can solve any problem no matter what tools I have. I may not be able to do some scout craft things, but you know, I can figure it out how. So yeah, that's me. So they handed me the mic last. Good, I have it oriented the right way. Um, so, favorite scouting moment. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a, a scouting moment, but I think it's a culmination of a, a lot of moments. Um, I have a very close-knit group of friends that... Um, I developed in the scouting program, and uh, lots of shenanigans, um, stories that are probably not fitting for a scouting podcast. Um, but well, some of them, uh, some, so well, yeah, no. Let's let's be honest. Most of them are fitting for a scouting podcast. I'm glad <laughs> you hear that. <laughs> I <am> what? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, so. Um, the the fact that um, my best friends uh, came from the scouting program um, it means a lot to me. Uh, it's probably one of the uh, biggest things I've taken away from scouting. Um, the the most challenging part uh, of being uh, of like scouting or my my most negative experience in scouting. Um, yeah, I think, I think really does come back to, I, I think it's been, been chimed in, in the, in the group, uh, all together is, is those that really don't like the, whether it's a youth or an adult, it, um, they don't want to be there and you can tell they're there because they're for the wrong reasons. Like Regan has said, um, and dealing with that and having to cope with that, um, it really does take a lot of energy, especially if you're not, uh, an extroverted, uh, person who can, who can get energy from just people being around. If you're introverted and you have to deal with, uh, a large or, you know, disciplinary issues and, and that kind of stuff, it takes a lot of energy out of you and you are drained. And that really can affect your ability to deliver a program. So I would say that that was one of the more negative things that I, I found uh, in being a leader or uh, being on group council um, is just having to, having to cope with that kind of stuff. Um, now, 
the uh, the thing that I taken from scouting and um, using my uh, using my day to day life would be my critical thinking skills. Uh, I think scouting has instilled that in me um, from the Beaver program all the way up um, through your experiences and and uh, adventures, uh, all the shenanigans. Uh, you you learn things. You 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 become that person, and then when you exit the program, you have all these tools and the skill set to just go into whatever situation you have and be able to be able to uh, be able to react. And um, uh, Regan said it very <laughs> very elegantly herself. Um, yeah, it's it's about having like. For me, it's about ha having those experiences that gave me gave me the tools to to go in and whether it's you know I'm on the side of the road and we have a strap that's broken on uh, a uh, on a truck that's loaded you know you can now tie a knot that's gonna you know it's gonna hold because you've experienced what a knot that doesn't hold <laughs> looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, <laughs> or you you have that first aid experience where you know you inadvertently cut yourself with a knife, or you burned yourself on something hot, or you know all of those things. You have the you've had the experiences. You have you you have you have the tools. More importantly, you can share that information with others too. Um, it, it teaches you patience. Um, because there is inevitably patience that's involved in scouting, so all of that stuff, um, all that stuff comes through. So, um, was that that was pretty well it, right? Those were those were the yeah. Should I give the mic back? Best shenanigan. <laughs> oh, oh, best. Oh, I'm just gonna say uh, the booting ceremony. <laughs> I was never officially booted. Oh. <laughs> Can somebody explain this to me? Is this when you get kicked out to be a scouter? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's when you get uh, punted from the rover program. Yeah. They put on a big steel toe boot after it's been in the freezer. <laughs> and then they ask you to start walking away. And then they run up behind you and kick you. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is not official. No, uh, <laughs> now you take a canoe and walk away with a canoe. It is. Read the rover program. I prefer my booting ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> See, if we were going to do the canoe, it would be a couch. Yeah, it would be across the Upper Kananaskis Lake. Oh, yes. That was a good time, too. <laughs> Um, you know, honestly, there are so many shenanigans to pick from, but I got to remember the, the one that stands out clearest in mind for some reason right now is the various evenings where we would peruse the shelves at Matt's movie store uh, looking for the most obviously awful title, yes. you know. Um, and, and, you know, like all the, um, yes. So, uh, we watched Wing Commander, 
We watched Dungeons and Dragons, which was terrible. And then I, I like I and I think this was my I remember this as being my find. We were wandering up and down the aisles, and all of a sudden I look to the left, and there it is. Surf Nazis must die. <laughs> just it's literally just the most it's the worst. Or Cannibals the Musical. That's also a good one, too. True. We these, never... are, these are high-end movies, people. Go, go, go download them. I'm sure you can get them. I'm sure you could YouTube them. Don't spend money on these. The thing I remember most about Surf Nazis was just, like, some of the trailers in front of it, which were already so excruciatingly bad that we're just like, we have no idea what's waiting for us in this movie. I, I don't even know if we finished it. I don't. I didn't finish it. I had to leave. I'm just like this is terrible. I'm out. <laughs> but we would do that. We'd like <clears throat> go to Matt's movie store, find like the most obviously terrible movie we could on the shelves in about 15 minutes of looking. It was a game, right? Like it's who. It was who could find the worst movie, and like you'd all come back with your titles, and it'd be like, oh, that one. <laughs> And, uh, and then, you know, we'd get, like, some pizzas or snacks or whatever else and try and watch these. And, I mean, some of them we couldn't get through. That one was maybe one of them that... There was the barbecue with the hot sauce. Oh. <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, he's not here, so I won't name him. I don't want to embarrass him, but... Yeah. He's been on the podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that may narrow it down. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so... At the time, I was really into hot sauce, and I was working at the—I was working at a restaurant too. And just before my shift that day, I had gone and I had picked up a bottle of Dave's Insanity Sauce. Um, not the stuff that you had to sign a waiver for. It was one level down from that. And uh, I don't—I don't think that store exists anymore. There used to be a place called like Fire Eaters off of uh, White Ave here in Edmonton that uh, sold hot sauces, many, many different kinds of hot sauces. So it is Dave's Insanity Sauce. Um, and I bring this out to, we're having a barbecue at, uh, at uh, one, of the, one of the guy's places. And uh, so I bring out this sauce and I'm like, you know, just, I put a little like, just like ping, single drop on my chicken burger and I was good to go. Spread it around and I was good to go. Like that's, it's, it's, the thing about Dave's Insanity Sauce, it's insane heat, but it had good flavor. The flavor was really nice. Kind of a nice, sort of darker, smoky, it was good. It's the little goes a long way hot sauce. It, it, it really is. You know, like, it's not just mindless pain, it's that with flavor. So you actually have a reason to, you know, use it. And at the time, my tolerance for spice was a lot higher than it is now. So, you know, I just put my little, like, drop ping. But the thing is, it's not like there's a stopper in the bottle like it's just it's an open so you have to be very careful to just get a little drop it's just like so anyways the the nameless the nameless member of our number uh it may have but it's probably going to come across as too muffled anyways he's just like oh what's that and i explain like it was dave's insanity sauce and yeah, well, he just grabs the bottle and he like just pours it onto his burger. And I'm just like, dude, you are going to burn. So like we try and scoop as much of it off as we can, but there's a fair bit of residual left on the, uh, on the, uh, the burger. And so, you know, like we're all sitting downstairs watching something, eating our stuff. And 
he's a couple bites into his burger. And then he's just, he's beat red, he's sweating like no tomorrow, and then he makes the mistake, and I mean, you can't, you can't see me do this because this is a podcast and not a vodcast, but, oh, this is so hot, and he rubs his eye. And he is instantly up, out of his chair, running for the bathroom across the room uh, to, you know, rinse the pain out of his face. Um, he also ran upstairs and chugged a, a liter of milk. Uh, he ran upstairs and chugged a liter of milk out of the garden because he was he was he was that far gone. <laughs> but the thing I remember the most is that he'd been sipping a pop. He'd been sipping a coke, mm-hmm. and he had set it down. <clears throat> and then I think it was Cam. It might not have been, but someone else came and sat down and set their coke down. Right beside his, and then mistakenly picked up his and drank from it, and had to run and drink milk <laughs> because just the residuals uh, was too spicy. Uh, yeah, there was a residual on the glass, and and that was enough. That was, that was so. No, it was good. It was good. Yeah, shenanigans with hot sauce, and then I suppose actually. Favoritest shenanigan? You weren't there. This was CJ97. The hat duel. Um, it's far too long and convoluted, and if I name names, then uh, Regan has to probably take action against a couple of people. So I don't even want to know. Why did you bring it up? All I'm going to say is that um, I won. Graham got lost, and my victory came at the cost of getting kind of dragged along the rocky bed of a creek under a tire tube for a little while. But, uh... <laughs> I'm sure risk assessments were done. <laughs> uh, well, for the tire tubing event, yes, I'm sure they were. <laughs> the fact that we added our own layer to it, not so much. But that's neither here nor there. We were venturers. It was... Exactly the sort of stupid thing a 13-year-old would get up to. I'd like to hear what Regan's shenanigans... Oh, I've got some good shenanigans. Oh, sorry, I didn't drop the mic. So, um, I will preface this with always make sure that the person you're pranking is open and willing to be pranked. Um, my mom was a guider. I'll start that off. She was Guider Sharon. And uh, one one day, Guider Sharon decided she didn't want to sleep in a tent. So she brought her parents' um, RV to camp. The RV was fully stocked with bacon bits. Well, we decided, me and my main crew decided that hmm, it would be pretty fun to prank another Guider with bacon bits. So we sprinkled bacon bits all over her food including her hot chocolate. Later turned out she was allergic to bacon bits. <laughs> that was not great. So that was as a third-year guide, our last camp, our last hurrah. We were off, so I'm pretty sure she was pretty happy to be like, see ya, never. Um, then, I'd say my favorite prank happened with my guiders who were willing to prank back. So, same crew of girls, um, that is. We were... Uh, at Pathfinder Camp, and, well, we, we 
decided to toilet paper their car, the guider's car. And um, so, you know, some pretty basic pranking. But our guiders had been in cadets. So um, they were ready and able to prank. So they kept us out all night at a really awesome campfire. They told us all the songs that we probably weren't supposed to learn. And no matter how many times I ask them on Facebook these days, they still won't send me the lyrics to these songs. Um, one of them was the dirty version of, I don't want to go to Girl Guide Camp. I want to go to Scout Camp. You can imagine where the Girl Guides took that song. Um, then... Hey, listeners, send me the lyrics. Yeah, if you have the lyrics, please send them to me. I really want to know. But it was like, screw this, I'm going to Boy Scout Camp, and so on and so forth. Um, what we imagined happened at Boy Scout Camp. Um, anyway, the prank, so they kept us out really late at night, and it started to rain, and they were like, oh, you girls should, uh, should go check, uh, your tent, maybe, maybe it's open, maybe, maybe you left the fly open, or the door, well, we get to our tent, and we're like, nothing, nothing's wrong with our tent, so we go back out, it's raining, it's pouring, we're having fun by the campfire, eating some late night snacks, then finally we decide it's time to turn into bed. And our guiders had stayed up pretty late. It was probably around, like, midnight or 1 o'clock at this point. And they'd stayed up, and it was pretty weird for them to stay up that late. So we go back to our tent, and we look inside the tent properly this time because we're getting ready to go to bed. And um, we were we were good bedrollers. So we had our bedroll. You have, So for a bedroll, for those of you who don't know because you're too new school for that, um, you have your ground sheet or a blue tarp. Sorry, are you the youngest one in the room by at least a decade? <laughs> I am the youngest in the room by at least a decade. Nine years. Okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> so, anyway, you have your blue tarp, you have your air mattress, your sleeping bag, your extra pair of rubber boots, or your only pair of rubber boots in my case, um, your extra blanket, your pillow, and then your night clothes, and your extra pair of socks, because you always have to have an extra pair of socks just to get cold feet. So, anyway... Um, we start digging around and we can't find random things. Each bedroll was missing something like a sleeping bag or an air mattress or rubber boots or a pillow or pajamas. And uh, we, we get out of our tent and we start going through our suitcases because, you know, if you have a bedroll, you still need a suitcase. Um, and really, I swear we had these things like, how did I come to camp without a sleeping bag? I don't know how I came to camp without a sleeping bag. How did you come to camp without a pillow? You know, silly questions like that. But we see our guiders snickering over in the Anirondack. We go, oh no, they've retaliated. And in the bushes behind our tent, soaking wet, was our sleeping bag, rubber boots, everything we were missing, basically. So we learned a good lesson. The next camp, we put Vaseline on the outhouse seat. <laughs> and saran wrap. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. <clears throat> All right, your turn there, Echo. All right. Um, I guess, you know, tied with my number one favorite memory uh, of scouting, again, comes from my experience as a venturer, uh, being relatively unmonitored at certain hours of the day. Um, I don't know if anybody here remembers Mad Trappers Camp. I'm not even oh, yeah. sure if it still goes on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mad Trappers was great. Uh, I was part of the Woodville 197th. We had a mixed reputation at Mad Trappers sometimes because we occasionally started fires. Yeah. 
in places we shouldn't be. Um, however, we were invited as venturers to work at the camp. And uh, so they gave us a whole separate camp to ourselves, or a separate kitchen uh, facility. And there was two or maybe three different venture companies in there. And uh, so Saturday night comes around. We'd finished most of our activities. All the scouters went to bed at a sensible hour and told us, told us youth, you know, don't stay up too late, make sure it's clean in here. See you guys in the morning. Somewhere around 12.30 in the morning, we decided the best thing that we needed to do was have a buffet. So we went through our complete kitchen stores. We cooked pancakes, we cooked grilled cheese, we cooked eggs, sausages, bacon, beans, anything we could find. We cooked this enormous spread. We had like a one in the morning smorgasbord. And we were playing like old Rolling, because the only thing we had in the whole place to listen to was the Rolling Stones. So we were singing Sympathy for the Devil and all sorts of really classic songs. Had this huge buffet cleaned it up, which was a bit of a mess into itself because we weren't exactly experienced at cleaning a professional griddle. I kind of accidentally poured the cleaner on when it was too hot and the entire thing evaporated in the air and we kind of had some lung problems. Um, and the next morning we were all worse for wear because we were, we, yeah, we, we did, we were pretty, uh, we were pretty rough around the edges the next thing in the morning, but I have never, I've eaten really good. That was, I got to run a griddle. It was a, that was a really good memory. That was a good shenanigan that we got, we got up to. Oh, nicely done, nicely done. Um, Corey? Boy, I was trying to think of any shenanigans I got up to in in scouting, but really I only went through beavers and, and cubs, and I don't remember doing a whole lot of quote-unquote fun things. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remember, I have a brief memory of a camp that I was at a long, long, long time ago. I, I think I was in cubs. I think it was my first outdoor camp as a cub. Getting up, I think I was one of the first people up getting out of my tent and deciding, oh, this is a really great time to practice my um, Tarzan call. And I just remember having, I think it was five or six people turn around and go, shh. That's really the only thing that comes to mind right now. But Oh, I can just imagine the response from uh, Scudder Hawkeye now, should uh, should one of your, your children decide to... <laughs> Test their lungs first thing in the morning. Well, I, I only know of one particular child who would definitely do that because you can always hear him no matter where you are in the campground. <laughs> you'd uh, you'd have gotten a kick then out of how we handled the uh, the wake up calls at hundred plus, um, because of course one of our number one of the rovers, um, he's a teacher now, and he also serves as a choral conductor for one of the music societies in town. But he's also quite an accomplished musician on several instruments, in particular, the trumpet. (laughs) (laughs) And not only, okay, so he would start with Reveille, but that's not where it would end. He would then stroll around the campground loop, playing selections. (laughs) All sorts of selections. Jazz, various soundtrack pieces. I think he even took requests a few times. <laughs> yeah, some of the scouters would shout stuff out to him. <laughs> I was, I was. Uh, he, he's a big Star Wars fan, so you'd get the the Imperial March and the Star Wars theme, um, but you'd also get like classic. Uh, classic pieces like I think he played trumpet voluntary 
at one point, and you know, it was just it was just fun to listen to him because you'd, you'd hear him as a staff. You'd be he'd be asleep in your tent, and you know, your your alarm goes off because you have to be up before the youth. Um, but you could hear him like out out a ways from the camp, just like warming up. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it's very true. He, he would he would come into the the campsite loop, and he would he would play Reveille, and everybody'd be like, oh! and then and then uh, usually it was the next day that he would he would just launch like instead of la- uh, going with Reveille, he would he would do like his random uh, selections and uh, various other things, and it was quite entertaining to listen to. I can imagine waking up at that camp being like, oh, so this is how that camp, this camp's going to go. Okay, awesome. Not a yeah. morning person. Yeah, and well, you know, and there, it was kind of funny too, because if you, you know, especially if, uh, and like I remember one year, even though we were volunteering for whatever reason, some of us recorded with the 59th in the campground loop. And it was just kind of funny, like, listening, because you could basically, like, you could hear as he went around the campground loop, and then there's just sort of this wave of, like, no, and screams as, you know, like, just sort of as he passed each campsite and, you know, kind of played into it a little bit, <laughs> just to make sure people were awake. But, yeah, that was um, certainly one of the more amusing ways. And, you know, the... the comment Colin made about him warming up is, is, uh, advised to, because keep in mind, this is that same camp that we were talking about earlier that got the massive dump of snow. This is a late October camp. Well, sort of mid October, but you know, like the weather could be anything. It could be sunny and warm. It could be snowy and freezing. It could be not snowy and still freezing. It could be just about anything. So some years his trumpet was, uh, shall we say quite cold and took a while to warm up. And the sounds that came out of it were kind of interesting, but, but yes, that was, uh, all right. Well, it's getting on past 11 here. So I feel that I should move on to shout outs because I do have a couple. Uh, first one goes to <clears throat> Scouter Brian. So he says, writes in, hi there guys. I'm letting you know that you have at least one listener in Melbourne, Australia. It's interesting to hear about the differences and the similarities uh, between the organizations of BSA, Scouts Canada, and Scouts Australia. And I actually think it would be really cool, because uh, I know we do have a few Australian listeners. Now one more. Um, if I can ever find a way to get one of them on a Skype call, it would be really interesting, I think, to do like a compare and contrast. I, I certainly had fun doing that with the Middleton group in Ireland. Um, and just you know, looking at some of the ways we're the same and ways we're different. Um, I think that would be a good thing to try and do a few episodes around with, you know, people from around the world as we're able to get them on. So if any of our Aussie listeners are keen on, um, setting up some time for a Skype call or whatever your favorite VoIP technology might be, um, we should talk. We should definitely talk. And I also have a letter. And actually, uh, this is from a guy that I know from my student days. Uh, he writes in, Hey Ken. I have been trying to play catch-up on your podcast during my commute to work. I've been listening to the episodes as they have relevance in my scouting life. Good stuff. Helps me a lot when planning things. I'm not even sure I knew you were as involved in scouting uh, back in the Husky days. Back then, I was on the board for the Northern Lights region. 
And just to go over the section head for our scout troop, I'm doing a lot of the legwork for our beaver program, and my wife has stepped up as the fundraising lead as well. Got one daughter in scouts, two in beavers, and a fourth that's only just about to turn two. Um, I liked what you said in the one episode about parents wanting to be active with the child in extracurricular programs. Uh, I've just gotten back to scouting last year after a long time. There's been a lot of catching up to do on the whole process, and a lot of the leaders in our group uh, have been around a while and still aren't really caught up on the new Canadian path. So, <clears throat> um, it seems you've put together a lot of materials that you mentioned uh, would be invaluable to our program. Your badge books sound awesome. I would love if you could send me a link to a few things. Uh, so I did send them the links to the PDFs for the badge books um, because <clears throat> those have gone over fairly well for our youth and I trust they'll work well for his youth as well. So looking forward to that. It's, <clears throat> you know, it's funny because I know one of the reasons that under Canadian Path we de-emphasized, and I think I might have made this point in the podcast before, but it's worth making again. One of the reasons we de-emphasized books was because we didn't want it to seem like school. <clears throat> and all the materials are available online, which is good, you know, and I mean, like, it's certainly convenient to be able to say, if I have a parent who's asking me a question, you're just like, oh, yeah, sure, uh, that is this, and send them a link to a PDF, and then they can print it out and do with it as they please. My daughter's in grade four. Um, she no longer has textbooks. It's all electronic document delivery. And it would seem that this is the case for other youth in the program as well. And so they were actually really quite happy to have that physical thing in their hands that then they could use to, to track. Because it's just, it's, I mean, like, it's, it's cool that under the Canadian path we can do, we can be a lot more versatile. It's cool that we're not just having them run down checklist after, well, at least for the personal achievement badges, they're not just running down a checklist of requirements, right, that they may or may not be 100% interested in. I mean, with the outdoor adventure skills, it is still fundamentally a checklist. Um, but, you know, for the personal achievement badges, that's fine. But that said, they really like just having the checklist all in one place, you know, uh, for, the outdoor or for the outdoor adventure skills. So, that's gone over well. And anyways, I sent him the links to the PDFs and said, you know what, they're formatted for like a half letter, just get it coil bound, prints up real nice. Um, so yeah, shout out to Scott or Rob, who sent in the letter, and then our correspondent in Australia, Scott or Brian. Uh, thank you both for writing in, and of course, as always, a shout out to the folks at Scouting Radio for rebroadcasting Scouting Stuff episodes to their worldwide scouting audience. And if you're listening to us on Scouting Radio right now, um, please do let us know. How does one do that, Scouter Ken? <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can email us, scoutingstuffpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice message. You can do this either on Facebook um, or, so if you go to facebook.com slash scoutingstuffpodcast or if you go to scoutingstuffpodcast.com, there is an option to leave us a voice message at both of those locations. So that's cool. Um, you can of course also like us on Facebook you can follow us on Twitter at SSYSK Podcast we're on Instagram as well at Scouting Stuff Podcast and of course please do subscribe on iTunes leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher I think also has reviews um, that all helps add to the visibility of the podcast and it's just a nice thing to do 
It's a good turn. There's your good turn for the week. Who <laughs> star ratings? <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you everyone for for being here. This was great. Thank you, um, Blue Snowball Mike, for still working. Low tech. Low tech. <laughs> <laughs> when you know the Behringer power supply utterly failed, I'm totally gonna have to get that fixed, or replaced, or something. But okay, I've got a couple of weeks to do it with, so that's all right. Um, and maybe get an extra, you know, so you're prepared. Aha! Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, is that shade? That sounded like shade. <laughs> and uh, anyways, <laughs> thank you everyone out there for listening, and until next time, be prepared. Be prepared.